Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1. I was told that the batteries will run out on this microphone soon. One of my biggest fears is not being heard, and so that really resonated with me, and then I thought, I'll just talk loud. <laughs> but Acts chapter 1, we know this account well. The Bible tells us in verse 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel, or the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And When they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zealots, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Father, we need you tonight. Give us great grace to hear your word. Challenge our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 11, it records for us the raising of Lazarus from the dead by the Lord Jesus. An amazing time. It's an amazing thing that occurred there. In John chapter 12, in verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, and there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Down in verse 9, many people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. You know, there's literally something about people living in resurrection power that speaks of confidence and it speaks of humility 
And that is something that is very incomprehensible to unbelievers. They don't know what happened. Several years ago, one of the ladies in our church, she's now in heaven, when she got saved, she quit going, obviously, out to uh, the parties there in town. And she was told later on by one of the couples that they would go to some of the dances with and all of that. She was told by, by, that, by that couple, you're, Gene, you're just not any fun anymore. She says, well, what do you mean? Well, you don't do anything fun anymore. All you do is go to church. And she says, yes, and I'm really happy to be going to church. A person who's living in resurrection power is something that is incomprehensible to an unbeliever. Living in re resurrection power is the life that born-again people live. It is something that is life-changing. It is purpose-altering. And it is eternity-viewing. Our eyes are no longer on this earth. Because this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Our, now, our vision is now in heaven. How many of you today are longing for heaven? How many of you begin to think about that? I mean, I, I do. I, I don't dwell on it too much, but I, I kind of wonder. You know, you have people that you know and love who've gone on to heaven, and, and you just kind of wonder. You know, it just kind of makes, uh, makes you dream about it a little bit. You see, when a sinner comes to Christ for salvation and they receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, their destination has immediately changed from hell to heaven. That's a relief. And their relationship with the Lord has been changed from an enemy combatant to a child of God. And their sin has been forgiven and they have been released from the shackles of sin and shame. And now... They have hope. And now they actually have life. They have passed from death unto life. Lazarus was living in resurrection power. And folks wanted to see Lazarus that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. And what a testimony for Christ that was. My question for you is, are you born again? Do you know for certain that heaven is your home? If not, you need to get saved. Amen. That's important. It's vital. It, it, it's, it, it's essential that you come to Christ. But as a Christian, is your testimony one that people walk away from you wanting to believe on Jesus? Do they look at you as somebody who is different in a good way is there something about your life that would prompt them to in the event that you were to talk to them about the lord they would be receptive because it comes from a man with some credibility it comes from a lady with some credibility in our text the number of people present to witness our lord's ascension into heaven is is uncertain but we no, at least the 11 disciples were there. For 40 days, these men had been with the resurrected Lord Jesus, seeing the wounds in his hands and in his feet and seeing his thorn-scarred brow and hearing his wonderful words. 
Peter has been reinstated in ministry over in John chapter 21. He had quit the ministry and he went back to his old life as a fisherman and he even took several others with him. But the Lord reinstated him. It's been 43 days following the crucifixion and burial of their Savior. It's been 44 days after that, the, uh, after that last Passover in the upper room as Jesus spoke about his death and his resurrection and the coming comforter and his specific praying for those disciples and all succeeding generations of believers. He taught them many things in that upper room, especially that we read about in John chapter 14 when he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He taught them many things. Chapter after chapter after chapter in the Gospel of John, we find him just having this dialogue, him talking to his disciples and talking them through things. It's been 44 days since Judas left that upper room in an odd way and betrayed this wonderful Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Peter took a sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, that high priest servant, and then the disciples out of fear scattered when the Lord Jesus was arrested by the temple guard and into the waning hours of that fateful crucifixion morning that this same Peter denied the Lord Jesus three times. These 11 men and those 120 in this room in Jerusalem are the same people, the same people, but now they're different. There's a difference about them. See, much of this change, much of this difference has to do with what we read about in verse 3 here of Acts chapter 1. To whom he showed himself alive after his passion, after his crucifixion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You see, time spent with this resurrected Jesus made all the difference for them and it makes all the difference for us too. Time spent with Jesus. Can I say that's what discipleship is? We go through discipleship programs. We have curriculums. We do these particular things and the, and the object of all of that is so that people learn to spend time with Jesus changing their lives. In this opening chapter of Acts, we are given the great commission and the same commission we read about over in Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 16. However, here in this sequel to Luke's gospel, this history book of the New Testament, we find a wonderful plan regarding missions and the role of the apostles and disciples in evangelizing the world with the gospel of Christ. It has been said that Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is the index for the book of Acts. It is the plan on how the book of Acts unfolds. We read of the concerns raised by the apostles in verse 6 of chapter 1 here. When they ask the question, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? That's a good question. 
These are Jews. They, 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 they were waiting for their Messiah. This is what their Messiah was to do. But we note the quick change of direction to the conversation by the Lord Jesus in verse 7. He says, it's not for you know the times or the seasons. How many of us are going around looking at the seasons right now and the times trying to pinpoint when Jesus is coming back? I think we have a little bit of a thing here that we might need to be reminded of that it's not for you know, know the times or the seasons. I'm not opposed to, I don't think we need to be oblivious and bury our heads in the sands, but I think we can get too distracted. But we're also made aware of the all-important context of what's going on. Lord Jesus says, it's not for you to know the, time, know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. In other words, it's none of your business. <laughs> That's for God and God alone. But, but, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. You know, God has power. He has authority. And God alone has this power. Because he is sovereign. I often tell people sovereignty means that God will do what he will do because he is who he is. He is not subject to man or beast in heaven above, here on earth, or even under the earth. He's sovereign. How many of you have asked God why? I have. About whatever. Why this sickness? Why this issue is going on? Why this is taking place? What's going on in our country? Why, God? Why? And how many of you know he's answered you in a very audible voice? Never. You know, I want to know why, but can I encourage you, don't get upset when he doesn't answer because he doesn't answer to you and me. He is sovereign. He is holy. And so God has authoritative power, but he, he alone also gives power. He gives enabling. That's the word that we find here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power. That's enabling. This new work, this purpose, this mission from heaven for God's redeemed people is something that is rooted in power. The authority of the sovereign God of heaven and the enabling from his Holy Spirit. You see, something new in our text is coming. Something mentioned in that upper room those 44 days before this. The comforter is coming soon. The Lord Jesus tells his disciples, you need to go back to Jerusalem. You need to, uh, you need to wait. You need to wait. The Holy Spirit is coming and with him and enabling to carry out the commission of God. Now we as Baptists, we have a tendency to get all interesting when it comes to when did Jesus start the church? Now, here's the thing. Christ started the church. Okay, we get that. The question is when? Well, when he did. How's that sound? <laughs> but I want you to understand something. That early church was a powerless church 
until the day of Pentecost. If we're going to do something for the Lord, we need to have the power of God. Were they obedient? Absolutely. Were they wrong? Nope. Were, they, were, 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 were there issues? No. There weren't any issues in that upper room. Nothing. We can't fault what was going on. But one thing they needed to have, they needed to have the power of God. May we be reminded of and grasp and apply this same age-old remedy in our text for dealing with the condition of our world and of our country and of our states and of our counties, and of our communities, and of our churches. You see, folks, all people are important to the Lord. And every little town that is scattered in all of our little tiny counties that make up our counties, every town is important. Because all the people within that are important. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. I like that because that includes Moab, Utah. That includes Cortez, Colorado. That includes Dove Creek. That includes all of these names and places that no one has ever heard of or even cares to know about. But we know where they're at. For God so loved the world. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not willing that any, it's talking about people, that any should perish, but that all, that's people, flesh and blood, that all should come to repentance. And since people, old and young and sick and lame and religious and non-religious and good and bad, since people are important to the Lord, they should be important to us as well. And all places are important to the Lord. Verse 8 continues on with uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. All places at home and abroad ought to be important to us too. World War I and World War II, you had two major fronts that were taking place. I recognize in World War II you you, you had the European theater and you had the Pacific theater and all of that. But there were two important uh, fronts that were taking place. You had the home front, and then you had the foreign front. And can I say that the guys fighting on the foreign field couldn't have done it without the home front? We want to send missionaries overseas. We want to see the world reach for Christ. We want to support people in Africa and and, and in Europe and and in in Asia. We want to see see churches get started. Well, I'll tell you this much. For Americans, we better pay attention to the home front. Because this church can't take care of everybody. Well, a Baptist church can't take care of everybody. But if there was another church that could take another missionary on, that would help. We've got to pay attention to home front as well. So all places ought to be important to us. Let's notice here, first of all, the believer's purpose. The Bible tells us in verse 8, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Isn't it great to have a purpose in life? It really is. Uh, Isn't it great to have a role that you play or maybe even a, a position to play or even just to be on the team? On the team. Cindy and I 
one of our granddaughters, Nora, she is now six. And her other grandpa, Phil, she calls him Opa, they live back in Iowa, was sitting on her, her uh, grandpa's lap. He was doing some things for, so he, he's a missionary serving, uh, helping out some churches and, and all of that. But one of the things that he, one of the things that, that, that he was trying to get her to do, he's talking about purpose and having a purpose and challenging guys who are a little burnt out in ministry that there is a purpose. And, and Nora's about, I don't know, she's about three, I think, or uh, two and a half. She's starting to talk and she couldn't say the word purpose, but she could say the word poopo. <laughs> and Phil tells her, her opa tells her, he says, and Nora, isn't it good to have a purpose? And she says, a poopo. <laughs> we need to have a purpose. When we quit having a purpose, we quit. And for Christians, we have a purpose not only in life, but we have a purpose for life. One that lasts a lifetime. One that we don't get to retire from, thank God. And that is to be a witness. A witness. A witness has personal knowledge and a personal experience. A, a witness expresses what they know because they have seen something and they have felt something and they have known something and, and been told something and they hear something. If I was saying that in an English class in high school, my teacher would have given me an F. She would have said, you need to define something. But a witness, when asked, tells only what they know. They're on the, when they're in the courtroom, they, they tell what they know and only what they know. Our purpose as believers is to tell someone else what we know about the Lord and about His saving grace and about His comforting work and His life-changing power and His, and, and His love for us and our love for Him and what He means to us. That's our purpose. That's as a witness. Witness is a key word in the book of Acts and it's used some 29 times. Our English word martyr comes from that Greek word that's translated witness and many of God's people have sealed their witness by laying down their lives. But all of God's people are expected to be witnesses and tell the lost about the Savior. And every Christian can bear faithful witness to the Savior. A true witness, according to Proverbs 14, 25, delivereth souls. A witness of victory, a witness of peace. How are you able to function in the disappointing things and the hazardous things of life? And how are you able to function in that? The peace of God. Well, describe that. I can't. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. And listen, when you have peace with God, you can have the peace of God. You know, what, what, about, what about comfort? What about, what about strength? And, and maybe we are witnesses also of how Jesus has changed our life. How are you able to move on in life? How are you able to do this? How, is he, how are you able to be taken from a man who, who, who has a filthy mouth and then all of a sudden your mouth and your language is cleaned up? How, who does that? Well, I'm here to tell you it's Jesus Christ who does that. And we can tell that to somebody. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, Find an interesting situation here in Saul. We know him as the Apostle Paul was consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time, there's great persecution against 
the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad, here's the fascinating thing in my mind. They went everywhere preaching the word. Common people, safe people, they went everywhere preaching the word. We know in Acts chapter 9 that the Apostle Paul came to know Christ as his Savior on that road to Damascus. And we can think about the greatest Christian and theologian and missionary and church planter. The greatest of all time was the Apostle Paul. And he was mightily used of the Lord. There's no question about it. But he was one man and he couldn't be everywhere and he couldn't do all things at the same time. I bring this out because reading through Acts, it seems that other unnamed godly people were as zealous in being witnesses in other unnamed places. Yes, in Thessalonica, it was Paul and Silas and several others who were accused by enemies of the gospel in this fashion. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, the Bible says they were accused that these are they that have turned the world upside down. They've come hither. And how many more faithful, unnamed believers came and turned their world upside down for Christ? People we don't even know about. Those early Christians moved from town to town and region to region, usually escaping persecution, but they continued to be witnesses. And while they might have fled and left stuff behind, they sure don't seem to have left behind their faith. How many people, when they, when, when they leave churches like ours and they might move out of town and move to another town, you, you try to catch up with them later on, and are you going to church? No, we haven't found anybody like, found a church like Lighthouse Baptist. It's like, well, duh. You know, there's no other body like this one in the world. This is unique because it's in a unique place with unique people, and it's not going to happen anywhere else. But we can find something similar. These believers, when hard times hit, they went out and they carried the word of God with them. What is it that you can do? Well, we can all carry the word of God. So the believer's purpose, witness anywhere and everywhere. But number two, we find the battle's placement. The Bible talks about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part. You know, the Christian life is a battlefield. And we are well aware of this for Ephesians 6 and 1 Peter, uh, as well as other New Testament books, they tell us about this. Well, we also know it's a battlefield because we're in it. And we're told to suit up in our armor and we're told to stand fast against the enemy of our souls. And as our Lord gives the commission to his disciples, we read that God's people were to advance on and into the stronghold of the devil. They were to start at Jerusalem, the stronghold of Judaism. Oh, well, they're at home. Do you realize how difficult Jerusalem would have been? That is the place of the Sanhedrin council. They literally had a death grip on Jerusalem. They were the ones who called for the crucifixion of Christ. This was a scary thing. This is also the home place of the, of the Romans as well and of the, uh, uh, of the secular government and, and all of that. It was a rough place. 
It was a stronghold of Judaism, their heritage, their culture, the religion of their forefathers. And then you deal with Judea. It is a stronghold of the familiar. This too is their heritage, their culture, their families. So many needing salvation. And it's not easy to go to families. It's hard. Then they were to go into Samaria. The, the, the stronghold for those who are close, who are similar, who are forsaken, but also those who are despised. Then they were to go to the uttermost part of the earth, the stronghold of paganism, of the unfamiliar, of the far away, of the feared, of the fearful. And every one of these places is very unique and each has its vulnerabilities and each is tough and each is very difficult and yet each is a place filled with people who have eternal souls, who are lost and undone, who are condemned in their sin. Each is a place filled with people who needed someone to be a witness. But thirdly, we find here the beneficial preparation. The beneficial preparation. A world was needing to be reached. The purpose and the plan for the commission is given but very interestingly, our Lord instructs these disciples to wait, to wait. Over in Psalm 37, the psalmist writes, he says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And some famous and very intelligent person who's definitely not me added to that in the margin of their Bible. They said, while the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, so are his stops ordered by the Lord. Lord Jesus says in verse 4, he says, You should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. We get here in verse 9, and the Bible says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. Verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, in verse 11, the angel came along and said, This same Jesus shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. In verse 12, Then they returned unto Jerusalem. In verse 14, And these all continued. This beneficial preparation. These men, these disciples, these individuals, these apostles, what did they do? They listened. They listened. They were diligent about what they heard. I praise God for churches like this. I praise the Lord for Moab Baptist Church. I praise the Lord for our churches that are similar of like faith and practice and all of that. And we, we have people in our churches and new believers and believers who are uh, people who are thinking about getting saved and the Lord's working in their lives. And we have mature believers, people who have been saved a long time. But the question is, is, are we listening? Are we listening? Folks, we, we will not be adequately prepared for ministry. We will not be adequately prepared to witness appropriately unless we listen to God's word. We need to know doctrine. We need to know what the Bible says about salvation and about the Godhead. And we need to know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ in particular. We need to know what the Bible says about heaven and about hell. We need to know what the Bible says about justification. And we could go on and on with this. We need to know by our doctrine. And we need to be fluent in it. We do. 
We need to be, know the people of the Bible. We need to know the places of the Bible. We need to know the principles from the Word of God. We need to know these things. Why? Because these are the things that, that help us in life. I tell our folks, I never learned doctrine in Bible college because I didn't go to Bible college. I learned doctrine sitting in the pew and going to Sunday school and going to the teen classes. I learned that there. One of the reasons why I'm really passionate about, about internships is because that's what I did for two and a half years. We didn't call it an internship. Here's what we called it. We called it training for the ministry. That's what it was. I called Harvey Seidel up in Thermopolis and I'd surrendered to the ministry when I was in, 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 when I was in junior high, high school uh, and all of that. And I decided that, that, that God really didn't need me in ministry and I, and I was fine. I wasn't going to run away from him too far and too bad and I wasn't going to be too obnoxious. So I joined the Air Force. I figured for four years that, I didn't, uh, that, that he couldn't really bother me. So I was faithful in church in Las Vegas. We attended Great Gateway Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we were faithful. Every time the doors were open, we were there. I, was a, I sang in the choir. I sang in the chorale group. I, I did some preaching. I was a Sunday school teacher, bus route worker. I was one of the trustees. We were faithful. And the Lord bothered me. How dumb can you be hiding in his house? It doesn't even make sense. You know, you're... You know, 19, 20, 21, you're not real bright, brilliant. You know, it's got a problem there. No. I thought if I could just kind of shake this feeling and get out of the military and, and get back to Wyoming and, and all of that, life would be A-OK. -okay and, and, and I'll just go driving truck, you know, because I can make a little bit of money and I can at least do something like that. So I, I got out, got my CDL, began driving for Tom Key, hauling Bentonite. If you want to know what a purpose isn't, it's hauling bed night. <laughs> but we were faithful at Calvary Baptist in Casper. Became a deacon. I was a song leader for the church and a choir director, Sunday school teacher. And Cindy served right along beside me. And one day we, we had purchased a house and over on Fairdale. And, and uh, it was a three-bedroom, one-bath uh, ranch-style home with an itty-bitty, teensy-tiny garage. We were living the dream. By that time, I was working for Coca-Cola. And uh, Cindy looks over at me in the living room one day, and she says, what is the matter with you? And I mean, I had this look on my face. You have to know that what I think comes out on my face. And it's a bad thing, and I'm really working on it, but I don't know if it'll be accomplished by the time I die. But anyway, probably laying in my casket, my wife's going to go, what is the matter with you? <laughs> But anyway, having said that and got totally distracted, I said, I'm miserable. She said, why are you miserable? I said, I am not doing what God called me to do. She said, well, what is that? And I said, it's preaching. I need to pastor a church and I don't know how to get there. And I don't know what to do. At that time in 1995, uh, Bible colleges were a long, long ways away. You could go up to Wisconsin, uh, you could go back to South Carolina. You could go to Florida. And who wants to go to those places? <laughs> Seriously. I had a wife and I had two little girls and, and, uh, and I, I didn't have enough money. 
Uh, and, and we didn't have enough money to get there. We didn't know, I, I didn't know what to do. So I went to my pastor and I said, would you train me for ministry? And Pastor Sutherland said, nope. I don't know why he said that. I, I felt a little offended, you know, but not too bad. And I said, can I call Pastor Seidel up? I knew he was living in Thermopolis and he had been our pastor when we were kids. And we talked to him time and time again, a little bit off and on as we go up to Cody to see our folks and all that. And, and uh, uh, he said, oh yeah, by all means, go ahead. I think he's pawning me off. So we went up to Thermopolis, or I gave him a call, told Pastor Seidel what was going on, and he said, why don't you come and visit with me? So we made an appointment, drove up to Thermopolis two hours from Casper, and we sat down in his office, and he asked me the question. He says, can you do anything else? And I looked at him with this dumb look. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't understand English. You know, and he says, no, here, let me help you out. Can you do anything else and be happy and satisfied? And I said, no. I, had, I was successful in the Air Force. I only spent four years, but I loved it. It was miserable. Got out, I was driving truck. We bought a home. We, we had benefits. We were in our church. We were doing everything right. We were successful. We were young. We were successful. And I said, no, I can't. And he says, good. Then I'd encourage you to move here. I can't pay you. You're going to have to get a job. You're going to have to get your own place to live, and I'll give you a year. I'll teach you everything I know in a year. And I walked out of there going, yes! <laughs> I got time. Time. We went back home, and we went back to, to Casper, and we kind of... Prayed about it a little bit. We looked around. We thought about it. We talked about it and all of that. And we put our house up on the market to sell. And we moved there in April of 1996. I got a part-time job. We rented a house out, north of, out no, north of Thermopolis, out in the middle of nowhere. It's an A-frame house. Our girls called it the Triangle House. And uh, we were going broke faster than fast. We were, uh, we were bleeding money. And I, we were happy as clams. Totally stressed out. We stayed two and a half years because apparently I'm a hard case. <laughs> but I needed to learn doctrine. I needed to learn how to teach this. Didn't need to learn it, I already knew it. I need to be refined in it. I needed to learn how to preach. I need to learn how to administrate. I need to learn how to do these things and counsel and all of this. But the answer is, is are we listening to the word of God? But also these men, they looked. They, what they saw was very real and very overwhelming. They looked and they saw the Lord. They looked around. They saw what God was doing and, and all of this. But, but here is the thing. We look by faith. They got to see it with their own eyes. They were determined, though, to obey. The Lord said, go back to Jerusalem and stay. And they did. They did. Step by step by step. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know it was going to be 10 days later or two weeks later or three months later or a day later. They didn't know. But they were willing by faith to, oh, and they determined to obey step by step. My son, every once in a while, he, he, he impresses me. He's an assistant pastor up there in Thermopolis, where we came from. He was born in Thermopolis, and now he's back there, have, holds my old position. 
But Caleb was preaching at our church a couple of weeks ago, and he says, he said, people want to know God's plan for their life. Well, that's future. That's the end of life. We don't know God's plan. We look back on it and go, oh, that's what God's plan was. But what about God's will? Everybody wants to know God's will. You go to Bible college, Reese, and you know it. What's the will of God? You know, we want to know the will of God. Everybody wants to, especially young people. But here's what the will of God is. It's today. It's today. We think it's some miraculous, wonderful, long drawn out, lightning bolt of life and living and happiness and joy, but the will of God is what's going on today. The will of God. Caleb taught me that, I was really impressed. Well, you think about Isaiah's ministry Brother Burkett referred to it. It was something that was changed dramatically. And he was willing to volunteer for the Lord's work when he saw the Lord high and lifted up in heaven's throne room. Finally said, here am I. These men had a glimpse of their resurrected Savior. And now he is their ascended Savior. And now he's also <clears throat> their Savior who's promised to return. But they were to wait by faith. And in their waiting, they weren't just sitting around chewing the fat. They were praying. They were ministering to one another. They were waiting. They were serving. But these men, they listened. These men, they looked. But these men, folks also, they latched onto each other. They stuck close to each other. They were distinct in their fellowship. And what a grouping it was. Yet all those men and ladies listed there in, in chapters, in verses 13 and 14. Can I say these were not Lone Ranger Christians? They had each other, and here's the thing, they needed each other. As they met together, they prayed and they ministered to each other and they were preparing. And they were waiting. And they were working. And the Holy Spirit was coming. And with his coming would be his enabling. But they were right here. Getting ready to go. You know, you shall be witnesses. There's got to be some preparing. There's got to be some waiting. There's got to be some looking to Jesus. There's got to be some time spent in the word. So that we can go out. So that we can be a vessel that God is able to empower and enable. So we come to this and come to the close of this. My question for you is this. Are you saved? I hope you're born again. If you're not, you need to get saved today. But my question for you as believers is this. How are you in your witnessing? How's your demeanor? How is your gospel presentation? How's your boldness? Do you know how to do it? If not, you need to learn because it's eternally essential for someone else. But also, how are you preparing yourself? Teenagers, how are you preparing yourself for future ministry? You spend a lot of time wondering, what am I going to do? But how about we start asking questions? What would God have you do? Amen. How can I serve the Lord? How am I able to go on? Married couples, how are you preparing? 
Because it could be the Lord will call you and direct you and give you that miserable feeling in your successful life and press you to move on. That hurts here, but that's the kind of movement we want to see from our churches, from our people. And it could be you that God's calling to go out and just be a witness, to maybe start a church, maybe pastor a church, man. You say, I just don't have college education. Join the club, you can get it. But you need to prepare here. And you can learn much here. Father, I thank you so much for today. Father, I pray that you'd work in our, this invitation. We need to be witnesses. We desperately do. And we can all do better at it. But Father, we need to be tender as well. I do. I need to be teachable. I need to spend time preparing. And oh God in heaven, I pray that you'd work in this invitation, work in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.